Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Why on earth would Julian Wilson want to punch B. Durbage in the face? What's his closest brush with the law? Who is the tightest person he knows? Julian answers these questions and more in the latest Dirty Water podcast. In less flippant matters, he explains how age 15 he became the main breadwinner for his family after his mother's cancer diagnosis and both his brother's longboarding careers evaporated. On the surface, the Hollywood good looks, the model wife, the pipe master titles and the million dollar contracts makes his life look pretty fucking goddamn easy. But that's a tricky family dynamic and a burden that perhaps many fans are unaware of. Along with Toledo and Geordie Smith, I'd argue that he's the best surfer of his generation never to have won a world title. Though, as he explains it, given his new longboarding and lid riding background, that he was a contender at all is worth respecting. There's some chat on the Mick Fanning Shark incident at J-Bay, timely, given where we're at right now. Who's going to win the world title? A bit on his new business and life off tour. I talked to Julian by Zoom from his loft in Merriweather in mid-July. I'm Ben Mundy, and I hope you enjoy it. Okay. Oh, no, now. <laughs> You're online. You got it? Yeah, we're good. All right. Okay, and with Julian Wilson, all the way from Newcastle, Australia, my hometown. Oh, how is Newcastle, mate? How, how's, how's it going living there? It's going good, money. It's, um, <laughs> it's brisk at the moment. It's, it's yeah. winter, winter brisk, but the south swells are hitting and waves are plenty, so no complaints. Oh, good. How long have you been in Newcastle now? Uh, four and a half years. Yeah, right. My daughter's, yeah, my daughter's just four and a half now, so we moved a couple oh, of yeah. weeks after she was born. Only another 15 years to go, mate, and you'll, be, you'll get that local status out there at, at ladies or so? 15? You reckon? I think I'm, I think I'm too late. Too to late? You just never get it. <laughs> I'm not expecting it. <laughs> Don't want it. <laughs> I can have it. I can have it. Like, 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 yeah, you're a localism's a thing of the past, anyway, isn't it? Hopefully. Oh, I get. Oh no, but uh, I get my service at Pogos. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I thought I'd start off with a little questionnaire to get the ball rolling. I thought we just might make it a little bit formalised and a few stepping off points. So I'm just going to hit you with some questions, Jules. Do you want to be honest and open? Don't yep. hold them back, please. Now you're off Do to my best. You don't have to. You don't have to toe the line. You run your own business. So we'll see what yeah. see what you say. My first question is: When were you happiest? Wedding day. Ah, no word, no word of a lie. Yeah, wedding day was the happiest day of my life for sure. Where, where was that? Where'd you it have was it? On the Sunshine Coast, just um. Uh, at Yandina Station, which is 15 minutes from the, the beach at Coolum where I grew up on an old cattle station. And it was just the, the one and only time in your life where you invite the people that mean the most 
to you and your partner to one place to celebrate a very joyful thing. It was just a yeah, epic occasion. Wow. Like just yeah. Bloody romantic. Oh, that'll give you points straight off the bat. Don't worry about that. So that's good. <laughs> switching uh switching quite severely. What's the scaredest you've ever been in the ocean? Scaredest I've ever been in the ocean is no doubt I sat in the channel for five and a half hours with a bit of a hangover. They got slapped out of me real quick um, in the code red swell in Tahiti my first year on tour. And I thought I watched Bruce Irons die in front of me. Uh, I thought I watched Nathan Fletcher die in front of me. Um, thought I was going to die a couple of times, especially Nathan Fletcher's wave when all the boats looked like they were going to get caught inside on top of me and CJ and Kersey and stuff that was sitting in the channel watching on our boards. Um, that was the scariest day in the ocean by a country mile. It was just out of this world. And so you guys were just on your boards just, yeah, like the whole time just what, so we even just watching it, we just always just searching for the horizon, like trying to, like just thinking you're going to get closed, closed out on the whole time. Yeah, like there's, I think there's like five big yellow buoys that have been in that channel for a long time, and like most days you can, you know that that first buoy, up in like handles pretty big, and you're safe at that first buoy, and um, but this day in particular. Like the last buoy was you'd almost treat that like the first buoy, which they're like 150 metres apart almost, like such a big distance apart. Um, And that was the indicator of being too far in um, was like the furthest one out, which was just because there's like a right-hander on the other side of Chokes as well that it meets and sort of close out. Um, It was kind of... It was really west that swell as, as well for how and how big it was and there was two people that got sucked over the falls right next to me and Kersey and CJ um, which was so gnarly so just see them come up and their faces and like getting sucked back on like a 15 foot closeout on dry reef at Chopes was <laughs> death defying like terrifying um uh Maya Gabrera, that was probably the scariest thing I've ever witnessed live. Um, I thought she died. Yeah. She, Yeah, she went a small wave just to try and get her feet in the wax <laughs> and it was the silliest thing that could have ever happened. She um, kicked out and uh, there was like a 10-wave, 15, 20-foot set behind it and she um, got sucked over by the first one. And then she had two life vests on and she was in the impact zone in between the end of chokes and then that right closeout, like she was in that impact zone, not getting pushed in, out. And she was just the first like three waves that she came up from and everyone was freaking out and no skis could get to her. She'd pop up right before the next lip would be coming over and we'd be looking over and she'd just be holding on to her two life jackets and she'd come up and she'd just be like, oh, like, like as if she'd seen a ghost. And then by the fourth one, she was like out of it. And then there was a fifth one and it was like, oh, my gosh, she's like, she's like we're watching her die and we can't do anything about it. It was so heavy. And then um, 
And then Poto got her after the fifth wave. Like Poto was right there, who's probably the most experienced jet ski driver that you could have in that situation. And he couldn't get in there until the fifth wave. Grabbed her, pulled her up. She had blood coming out of her ear. She wasn't with it. And we are just like, okay, that was just like we just watched someone die in front of us. Was there any chat about you boys going out and surfing it? Like, I mean, obviously CJ and Kersey or even yourself. No, we (laughs) sat there. Yeah, we sat there for five and a half hours and not at one point did we – look at each other and go, oh, I wonder if we could get on a rope or whatever. But I paddled back after that five and a half hours and after everything I watched. Um, And then Laurie Towner was buzzing around from the lagoon. He was towing Dean Bowen into into some and I don't know what happened, what came over me, but I asked Laurie to get me a wave and I ended up on the back of the ski and Borrowed Hippo's tow board and ended up getting the scariest wave of my life that day after all that. <laughs> oh, good work. I, know, I think it was just like seeing someone like a good friend that I was like sort of had this false confidence, like, oh, he'll look after me. Like, <laughs> yeah, Loz look after me. Yeah. <laughs> Loz and Bowen. Stupidly, stupidly. Bowen actually ended up being the one that pulled me, towed me into it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on quickly again. What's your most embarrassing moment? Most embarrassing in the water or just most just in, embarrassing? No, moment? mate, in, just anywhere, just in life. Most embarrassing moment was in primary school. It was like right before, just after lunch. And I had to go to the bathroom got excuse to go to the bathroom and I was just about to step foot back in the classroom and a crow just took a big shit on my head and I was in like grade six and um, I just grabbed my bag and bailed. Straight home. <laughs> and I was out of there. I just had like this massive, yeah, like a, proper one all through my hair I had like white blonde hair at that time too and um just yeah got me so good and I was just about to step foot back in the classroom and yeah I was like grade six and I just went nah I can't handle this and snuck by the window grabbed my backpack and and um pieced out went home as quickly as the crow flies straight back. You would have been called crow boy for probably another 20 years. You may oh, have got just not good timing. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the funniest person you know? Funniest person I know, Wilco. Maybe Wilco. <laughs> yeah. He's pretty consistent. Yeah. Funny, isn't he? Have you seen much of him, mate? Yeah, still- even when I'm not. No, I don't see much of him. He's up in Byron and got his first child now too and it sort of takes takes over a lot of our time, as, as you know. But um, we still chat a bit. we talking about going to uh, to Tassie this year for a golf tournament together, right. um, a, a charity golf tournament. So that'll be, that'll be a hoot. That'll be pretty funny. Who's the tightest person you know? Oh, first one that comes to mind is probably Kai Otten. <laughs> just because he was just renowned, like, 
by everyone. Yeah, on on tour and but he owned it. He did not. He doesn't. Every doesn't, time the doesn't care yeah. one bit. But I, yeah, probably definitely Otto. <laughs> Always complaining about who's paying for dinner and <laughs> who's, who's shouting him and what? It, yeah, it's funny. Odd prick. Um, what's yeah? What's your most? Oh, sorry, yeah, what's your most treasured possession? My health. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. All good. Okay. It's very okay. smart. Very smart. What is of it? The yeah. most expensive thing you bought apart from property? Car. Oh, yeah. What'd you get? Yes. Um, had a few, been through a few cars in <laughs> my short lifetime career. Um, but yeah, I've spent a bit on cars. I've spent, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What's, the, what's your closest brush yeah. with the law? Closest brush with the law, I was. You've been pretty good. About 16. I was about 16 at a house party and I was in the, in a very private area, like in the bush, no one around, took a leak, um, came back out to where the party was, at, um, where, where the house was and the police had pulled up for, to stop the, the party happening and um, I just got, just got targeted, just um, – this police officer across the road just goes, you, come here. And then uh, straighten the paddy wagon. He, he didn't even, he didn't have a reason at first. He just was like herding everyone up from the party. And I don't know. I think he knew, might have known who I was and wanted to make an example of me. Um, but, yeah, I got put in the paddy wagon and then I got like a public nuisance um ticket and then I uh, had to go to the police station a couple of days. Mum drove me to the police station a couple of days later and I got an absolute serving off the um, police officer in there. Rick, I suppose even that's quite young, even though when you're only 16 to have sort of been targeted for who you were, you know what I mean? Like it's pretty of a, probably a bit yeah. of a lesson learned, was it? Like, you know, like even though you hadn't done anything wrong just because you were at even that young age, which you shouldn't be really deal with that sort of shit then, do you think? Yes, yeah, a small town on the Sunshine Coast and we're all on the beach and I guess, yeah, it's, I, you know, I started, made, had a bit of a, a name for myself from very young age. Um, but I still to this day, mum won't admit it, but I, I think I got in trouble that night and then mum definitely teed up the the um extra extra um follow-up conversation at the cop station right um but damn it put me in it set me in a good place for for then going to travel the world on my own and just yeah like you know always being aware of you know the law and and just um it rattled me massively and I've been pretty clean since. <laughs> All right. Now, this is a quick game. I'm going to give you three people, Julian, and ask you one to be your best man, one for two, you have to go on a two-week holiday with, and one you've got to 
metaphorically punch in the face, right? I'm going to give you Fanning, Callanan, and B. Derbage. One's got to be the best man. You've got to punch one in the face metaphorically. Or you can do it literally. It's up to you. And uh, wow. one near two-week holiday. Um, I'd say I'd take Mick to be my best man, Ryan on a two-week holiday, and Bede I'd punch in the face <laughs> because... He's that nice of a bloody human that he's probably the only one that would cough it, not belt me back or something. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I deserved that. But... <laughs> Tough decision. All right. Yeah. Last one. Um, yeah, what keeps you awake at night, Julian? I'll probably know the answer to this question. Well, there's a very obvious answer, but probably too obvious. Um, obviously, yeah, two young kids, but <laughs> young kids. probably, probably the, the one thing that gets me going the most is a good f- swell forecast still. Yes. There's a good swell forecast and yeah, just it's always looks different. doesn't matter if it looks the same, it's still going to be different when the swell shows up and some, some locations are different to others. I don't well, know. A good swell forecast kicks up at night. That's a good segue because there's a good forecast coming for Jay Bay, isn't there, this week? And you've probably yeah. noticed, you've probably seen that. How, um, how, yeah, what's your thoughts on that now, that when there's a good forecast coming, there's a comp on, obviously, you might be aware of, and you're not there. What's your general vibe on that right now? How are you feeling about, is there any, is there any, FOMO right now about that, about missing events, missing good waves and places like J-Bay where you, you dealt with that? Um, yeah, I haven't – I saw a couple of um, small things, like just I think Griffin posted something yesterday, today, just saying, hinting about a good forecast. I haven't, I haven't seen the forecast. Um, yeah. I don't know. Had some incredible swells at J-Bay. You're not missing Not at the moment. No. Not at the moment. No. Like, just, yeah, I I enjoy watching the comps. I I still watch a lot of it and I enjoy that side of it. But just, yeah, I'm not really missing the the travel and the the separation from family and stuff at the moment. Kind of is keeping me pretty pretty happy and 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 settled and just had a really sick swell in Fiji just the other week and waves are pumping here at the moment just what? yeah it'll be interesting I don't know if I like might get to the end of this year and be like oh shit I'm too competitive for this you know to step into this into this so young but at the moment I've made the decision and I'd just really trying to appreciate it because it might not be for a long time or it could be forever. I don't know, but just trying to yeah. trying to enjoy it. And with Jay Bay, obviously the, everyone not probably it's a boring conversation for you, but obviously the incident with Mick sort of brings back memories. Is that is that is that ever still playing ever playing your mind? Is that is that an experience that you rethink about or when Jay Bay's on? Do you 
do you perhaps think about it more or is it something that com- comes back in your mind at various times or it's sort of just one of those things you don't dwell um, not really not it doesn't really take j bay for me to think about it um but i think ever since i've been more sensitive to like what feels sharky like whether it's like where a certain wave is or the time of day or I've, I've definitely been more sensitive to like an easily scared by sharks since yeah. that's you know, and that sort of but, triggers it yeah but um i don't yeah i don't associate like watching epic j bay or watching clips of j bay with that incident i just i i, I actually don't like, I don't ever really feel that spooked at J Bay, even though what what happened just because of how close it is to the rocks and just the beauty of the wave sort of captivates me. I don't, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, not, you know, not as much as some of the slab slabs around here and the deep water drop offs and you know super earlies and late arvos and murky like those things can get me going and I think I'm more sensitive since watching that um, go down and being a part of that. Yeah, all right. And who's going to win the world title then if you've been watching a bit of it? Who you got, who you got your money on? All right, who, 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 uh, who do you Toledo. want to win? Say again? Italo or Toledo? <laughs> <laughs> who do I want to win? I want Ethan Ewing to win the world title. Definitely. Um, and he's good enough. But, oh, it just, yeah. Do I think he's good enough? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think yeah. he's good enough to win Newton? I, I, I think he has an extra 10% on, like, if he's really on with his rail game, I think. Toledo can is probably the only one like in softer waves like trestles that would really match him on the rail game. But I almost think Ethan's got an extra little something there. Um, but obviously he gets, you know, doesn't have the wild card of like excellent scores from airs, which is like, you know, which brings your batting average up massively because you can take off on a mediocre wave needing an excellent score where Ethan can get boxed in a bit competitively. But um, for sure he can, you know, Trestles is six foot and mostly rights and just like, you know, when Luke Egan won, I could see Ethan winning on a day like that, Um, you know, and, and if he's on for that day, it's a world title now. Uh, that, would that would that have suited you? I'm mean, obviously the world, the world title. Jeez, oh, you must have you've answered you've answered some questions for me about the world title over the years and the fact that you didn't win one. I suppose Ethan's a bit like you in, in terms of absolute quality surfing, rail game, everything that you need to win a world title. But obviously, it's it's having it and winning it's a very different thing. But do you reckon the finals sort of situation, the way that works now, would have been better for you in terms of? having a one-day sort of grand final kind of feel or, you know, would that have um, helped you, you reckon? Oh, I would have had way more chances. I mean, obviously I would have had way more chances, just had to, yeah, be top five and 
and know that it was just coming down to the one day, like that's massively different than coming in third, third in the title race or second in the title race and, you know, you got to get second or first at pipe to, to try and win the title and the guy winning has to, um, you know, bomb out early or whatever scenario. Like, it's definitely that that um, opportunity is there for way more. It is obviously there for a lot more people more often. Yeah, um, it's set up. Um, less of a, less of a grind, I suppose, as well. The year was that something that you think held you back, like trying to have concentration for that whole time or maintaining whatever it was you need to win, like for the whole twelve months. If you can do it for six months, would that have I don't know. Have you, I don't know if you thought about um, it. Uh, I reckon I always needed the whole year, to be honest. I felt like I could <clears throat> get a quarterfinals <coughs> or better at every location. That was my goal, to, like, be able to to know that I was capable of that, of that at each, each of the stops. Um, and I felt like I got to that place maybe, like, 2017 felt like I was like okay each of these locations I'm competitive I could quarters or better and if I do that I'm a serious contender I can I can win a title um and I had a good run around that time um but yeah I think like yeah to put to put my finger on it I couldn't um I felt like for me, I was in my career, I felt like I always felt personally like I was overachieving to even be in that conversation, like just coming from where I came from, how I grew up, you know, just the whole thing. Um, yeah. Well, and yes, yeah, so keep going. Sorry, mate. Oh, and yeah, just like, oh, you know, it wasn't until people were saying and expecting something big like that from me did I then go oh you know if there's a you know if I can find 10% more like I could you know maybe that that's something that I can really achieve and I turned into becoming you know that person that wanted to win a world title for five years in a row and when you talk about that upbringing and that what was that a difficult why do you why did you think that that put, not put you at a disadvantage, but why do you think that when you were young or when that upbringing was, people probably don't realise exactly how you grew up, but why did you think, it almost sound like that, that you didn't, didn't think you deserved to be there because, you know, how tough you had it. But, yeah, well, yeah what, what, what what do you think about your upbringing? Oh, not, yeah, no, it wasn't a tough upbringing at all. Um, it was the opposite. Um, but the expectation to be like a top-level shortboard competitive surfer was not I didn't grow up in that environment I grew up like a part of the longboarding club at Noosa and that was our once a month competition as a family was doing the Noosa Mal Club um and I never weren't hothoused no I never like I actually was never comfortable going to the Gold Coast because that was like the shortboard like very competitive environment and it was very um uh, almost 
you know, opposite to how things were on the Sunshine Coast. Um, but as I grew up, I and my brothers, like, what, you know, they sort of, like Seb was top five in the world on the World Longboarding Series and Bart was Australian longboarding champion. And, like, then when I was, like, 15, the World Longboarding Tour fell apart, the Oxbow World Tour just died. And at that time I was longboarding, shortboarding, like, you know, I was sponsored for both. I competed on both, Aussie longboard champion. Um, but then when I watched my brothers, when that opportunity disappeared and they couldn't make any money, like they went and started selling longboards for their surfboard shaper from the Gold Coast and the Papa longboards. Um, well, one other went and was quality controller in China for surfboards and the other brother went and drove the west coast of um, California selling longboards out of a Dodge van Um, and I realised that longboarding was um, not going to was not going to pay back uh, the you know my parents time and effort that they'd put in and uh, I went the shortboard route so it was just kind of there was I wasn't the kid that grew up going I'm going to be a like a you know Kelly Slater or yeah right, see. something like that just wasn't wasn't my it, it wasn't something that I grew up um on that trajectory and on that you know I wasn't hell-bent on on being a a uh, top level competitive shortboarder it just yeah. the opportunity came about I had a very flexible upbringing I skated road dirt bikes BMX uh, longboard, shortboard, boogie board. I had like proper boogie board fins and a sick moray boogie board that I proper boogie board on. Like I just, yeah. Yeah. But that, it's interesting about the, you saw your brother's sort of their sort of career got wiped out and then, yeah, they're, they're working hard, or, you know, just trying to make a living out and then you saw the fact that you might be able to forge a career. But was there any, any pressure on you? I know, or did you put pressure on yourself to sort of, be the sort of almost the money winner of the family. Was that ever an issue that you put on yourself or, you know, because I think that might have been a, sounds like quite a bit of pressure to put on a 16, 17-year-old kid, not that it probably came from them or, but was was that a was that a thing? Was that something that weighed on your mind and your shoulders? I think that's abs- that was absolutely my deciding factor to pursue a shortboarding career. It was, it was around 15 um, it was right around when I did my first proper shortboard trip with the first, uh, second Young Guns movie, but my first like proper international surf tri- shortboard trip. Um, and my, yeah, my everything was just like trying to make some money for the family. Um, my dad worked his, worked his butt off. He laid tiles from when he was 16 till he was you know, through to when he was 64, but he used to laid, laid tiles five, six days a week and mum was a stay-at-home mum, drove us around, gave us all the opportunities that we could have ever dreamed for. And my, even from like a super young age, like mum went through um, her illness, like with <clears throat> breast cancer and, yeah, we we never had like any extra money or, yeah. you know, uh, it just wasn't. You know, it never held us back, but my dad worked extremely hard and didn't make, you know, great money. And my 
from such a young age, it was just, yeah, I just wanted to be able to like make money for, for the family. I wanted to keep the house that we grew up in. That was from a very young age was super important to me. Like, um, I was just all, yeah, it was a, this financial it was a big of thing. Stuff. But that sounds like a lot of yeah. pressure on it. That sounds like a lot of, lot of pressure on a young kid. I don't know if you're still only young now, but to have that kind of, to that sort of responsibility yeah. almost of the youngest yeah. family sounds like a bit of a, you know, it's not an easy thing to, to carry around, I'd imagine. Yeah, for sure. And it was something that was never talked about. It was never like, it was probably the last thing that anyone in the family ever wanted me to feel or that, you know, it was never spoken about, but it was just, it was just how we lived. And I just, like, I just knew it. I knew, I knew right, I pretty much knew right when that opportunity stopped for the boys, my brothers, with the longboarding. Um, and they were making a, a bit of money and there was a bit of prize money on that tour. And um, when that stopped, it was just like clear as day for me to just go the shortboarding route. And then I actually, that's sort of when like my <clears throat> competitive shortboard career sort of really started like started doing rusty grom fest at lennox and like going to the goldie for the hockey grom comp and like meeting Jody smith at d-bar and getting destroyed by him surfing heats at off the wall at d-bar and like yeah it was just there was but that was what i had to do i felt like to um make a career out of surfing and like do what you know was the dream for my family, I guess, we just grew up at the beach. My dad surfed, mum surfed. Like if you could have a life where you just surfed for a living, um, that was the dream. Yeah, well, do you think, and you, you achieved that, didn't you, mate? Like, you know, now you've re- retired from it, I'm assuming that you've, you've done enough to, I mean, your brother's still your manager, so he's still involved in the little family business that is Wilson Enterprises. But did you have you been able to park that a bit and think, okay, well, I've, I know you're still got your, your, your mum and, and dad to look after, but is it something that's still there? Is that still a, still an issue you've got or you think you've, you've done enough? Uh, no, I mean, that's what I'm most proud of, definitely just from my career. It's just, you know, my parents are still in the same house and my, my brother's close by, you know, he he's in, in a house that I that I own as well that, that he rents. Um to you know, and he's and he's close to my parents, and we're a very yeah tight knit family. Um, and they've yeah supported me amazingly through my career. Um, but I feel like yeah, my greatest achievement is is being able to have a family that um, you know f- I guess felt like they were a part of the my journey as well and they were um they knew sort of the whole time how much you know that meant to me and that any sort of you know as I achieved some some cool stuff through my career it was always like such a huge the driving force came from 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 the family and that's why I was doing it, making the sacrifices. Um, but I've definitely learned now having two little ones and being married um, 
my immediate family um, is obviously my number one focus and um, the responsibility um, of, you know, looking after my family back up in Coolum. That's definitely changed quite a lot, but being able to, um, through the yeah, success of my career, being able to, you know, really sort of give back uh, to my family and and support them. Um, and now I'm able to support a family of my own. So I've been extremely lucky um, through yeah, the success of my career. Yeah, good, good. And on, as this is for Beach Grid, I'm going to sort of tack a little bit, but they love a um, they love a legal yarn. And I do remember I was looking up your know, contract with Hurley and I knew, I think yeah. you sued them, but I haven't heard anything else. I don't know if you're allowed to talk or what the situation is <laughs> with that, but how did that all end up in the end, mate, just contractually with, with that early suing them and stuff? Did that did that get sorted out in the end with uh, you? Yeah, it got, sorted, it got sorted out in the end. I had, I can't say too much about it, but um, I had a year left on my contract when, uh, Nike sold Hurley to Blue Star Alliance, um, the New York-based um, company. And, yeah, just it um, was a really tough tough one for me. They came, came in and kind of cleared out every single person at Hurley that I knew and had been working with for a long time. The Hurley family, the, yeah, Bob's brother, he's his boys, everyone got, got the flick and, um, yeah, it was a, it was a bummer. I was so proud of representing Hurley for such a long time and it meant a lot to me. And then it kind of, um, got, yeah, pulled apart and they, um, didn't really have a plan, um, going forward and, you know, that I was comfortable with and I was really unsure of, of uh of the of what that 12 months is going to look like and um so yeah i i um stepped stepped away from from um what felt like a wrecking ball at the time yeah and all right and did the other athletes did they all get behind you when you made that decision to take them to court or or go the legal route or did you just go out on your own and think i'm just doing what's right for you um well we yeah I mean I had I had a I had a year left on my contract and an agreement couldn't be made um obviously it was COVID um was just coming into effect at that time as well um but yeah even the team was at that time was everyone was dropping off and things were going off you know, John left, Caruso got um, the flick. For, um, um, yeah, there was just a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on and there was, um, there was no agreement made um, that could be made for that, that 12 months um, that was left on, on my contract. Um, and, yeah, that was... How was that done? That was it. And what's yeah. what's the go of the new Rivia? I see the little hoodie for the benefit of the, the listeners at home. You're wearing the rocking the Rivia hoodie, and that's your label. Is that? Yeah, this is my this is my my brand that I've been working on for the last 
11 months. Uh, it's called Revere Projects. Um, the names, the name comes from my two kids. I've got a river and I've got an Olivia. She gets Via and Riv gets Riv. Um, that's where the name comes from. And um, it's a it's a surf men's activewear brand that's influenced by my hobbies. Um, and you hey, boss, how many you got? How, who's the little crew? How's it going? Yeah. What type of boss yeah, are you? There's only, yeah, there's a small group of us. Um, my brother's involved, actually has has a piece of the company. Um, and then Jamal Gray, who is a longtime family friend of mine, who, uh, you know, he came to me with the opportunity. He's, well, yeah, he's got um, some, um, yeah, he's he's got some bit of work behind him, hasn't he, Jamal? Got some runs on the board, yeah. We, yeah, growing up at, at First Point Noosa, I used to steal his, um, Alburn channel bottom shorties out of the garden when he'd be having his lunch and go out and catch a couple of ways at first point. Um, so yeah, known Jamal and Turtle and the family for a long time, and he sort of went the the route of rhythm and rip curl and a lot of work in the industry. And now we're working together to do Revere projects. And yeah, and is it, how is it working? Just doing a I hate to say the word proper job, but coming from pro surfer to starting a brand, that's a lot of hard work and can be quite dull, I'd imagine, in between the exciting parts of it. How you yeah, that? It's, it's actually complemented my decision extremely well. It's, it's motivated me massively to keep surfing and creating content and um, still competing a little bit. Uh, go to the US Open at the end of the month and did a couple already this year and um, it's actually like it's yeah it's it's a bit of a grind at times and I've learnt a lot of new stuff and the ins and outs of of the engine that you know gets these gets a company going um, and I've probably found even you know a new appreciation for for um the position that i've been in for a long time and the amazing support that i've had from great companies but um i've been yeah i i really enjoy learning um what goes into it and having final say on how it looks and feels and um how we present it and um it's all new so you know, we just started selling product two weeks ago for the first time, so that was a huge milestone. Um, and we and we basically sold out everything for Australia, New Zealand, and then America's doing pretty well as well off our our first um, our first go. So right. some good feedback, um, but yeah, I I'm enjoying it working with some great great group of people. We we. Um, you know, we're just in it for um, – we don't have anyone investing any great amount of money or pressure or anything. We get to do it creatively and, and have fun and um, it's it's uh, it's been a, a great focus for me and, and yeah. And where's you surfing at, mate? I'll let you go. I know you've got some young kids, some sick kids, but what where's you <laughs> surfing at? You haven't gone the full – Kersey, twin fin, full, alternate, craft, nah. hipster. Is that, you know, is that happening? And they all, all these pro servers seem to actually see the light after riding those thrusters for 
for so many years, and you've been yeah. a long board D boarder at heart. Yeah, how's that going? Depends what. Depends on the day. Depends on the swell. But I, I went when I when I stepped back after the Olympics from from full time competition. I was just like longboarding, twin fin. Mr. made me a couple of boards. He's just down the street, which is amazing. Um, and just switched off for like eight months, seven months, and just surfed and no pressure on my sessions. And I did really enjoy it. Um, and then Snapper came around uh, to do the Challenger, and I've been back on a thruster for like four months straight now, and I've actually been really enjoying it it's been really fresh and been enjoying um filming and been enjoying yeah chasing waves and like trying to fine-tune my high performance surfing again which is where I've spent so much time for the last 15 years just trying to get those small margins of getting better um so I'm I'm thrustering it at the at the, at the moment. It's a world longboard. You you get that world title on the longboard, mate. If that was the or, or, you know always the the Wilson goal, <laughs> mate. That's still out there. I like to see I like to see Jules on that. Still out there. Yeah, I might do I might do a longboard contest one day for sure. If the kids if the kids become, you know, I, I definitely would love to introduce the kids to surfing through through longboarding the way I was um, and maybe, you know, might enter a longboarding event then. You heard it here first. <laughs> you heard it here first. Julian, you imagine Beach Kit, that'd be like Julian Wilson going for world longboard title. But, um, yeah. well, mate, thanks again really for your time. appreciate it. Uh, sounds like you're pretty happy in a little loft up there in Newey and nice yeah. taking a pleasurable path. I think you may have earned it. Thanks, happy Mindy. with you a lot. Yeah, I appreciate that, Mundy. Thanks for your time. Um, and yeah, I'll just be around if, if you want yeah, to get Yeah, I don't go. I don't go <laughs> up to Merryweather much. If I can help it, but, uh, but uh, yeah, if I now nah, you know my mum and dad have moved into um into town, mate. So they moved from Redhead into right on. Oh yeah, they bought a, they sold the family home. I thought they might yeah. get cash coming Monday's way, but um they invested in the Seventh story of fucking a penthouse apartment right in town. So fair oh, play to them. So they're um yeah they're living in, room in town, mate. So yeah, I'm a townie now. So I'll uh I'll come and stay. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll come yeah. and say good day. You can come and help me get a couple of waves. Yeah, mate. I, <laughs> yeah, I think my pull is somewhat dwindled, but I'll I'll do my best. Uh, Carlin's your best sure bet. Carlin's your best bet. Yeah. 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 But even he's a road he's a road hog like Craig. They just hit the road every time yeah. a swell pops up. Yeah. They, yeah. But that's the beauty of this place too, though. You go north and south and you just open up so many options for good waves. Yeah. Well, get amongst it, mate. And uh, as ever, enjoy it. And, uh, yeah, I'll see you soon. Thanks for your time. Thanks, man. Cheers, mate. See ya. You. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V 
on YouTube.